if I was to talk about disruption and the amount of automation that's coming, I mean, there's people out there that want to want to find a job that that's fun and exciting and always different. You want to be in automation. You want to be in the home automation systems. You will have so much fun. You'll make six figures easily and you'll be traveling all over the world. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Seth Heckeman of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. And joining me today as co-host is Ryan Bell. Our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide timely and forward-looking information regarding the construction world. As part of that, we look at new innovations as well as trends in practices, building materials, the labor market, and leadership. Today, we are delving into the world of lighting science. Lighting that is healthy and conducive to good living is increasingly becoming an important goal with commercial buildings and also higher-end homes. Uh, To that end, our guest today is lighting design futurist John Fox, president of Fox & Fox Design and also Ascenti Lighting. Trained in architectural engineering and electrical engineering, John is a well-recognized expert in the field of lighting design. Developing and fabricating custom light fixtures utilizing the latest LED technologies and controls, Ascenti has worked with such projects as the Freedom Tower in New York City, the Louis Vuitton store in the Las Vegas City Center, and many high-end residences as well as resorts and hospitality projects. Their own trademarked circadian safe technology is designed with both blue and violet emission chips, negating the typical blue spike that it can that can occur with LED lighting which is known to negatively impact our circadian rhythms. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today on Construction Disruption. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. I look forward to uh, learning from you today. So let's jump right in. Why lighting? What attracted to you this field and and devoting your career to it? Yeah, you know, we've my wife and I are just celebrating 30 years together and uh, we were we went to school together at the University of Kansas, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. I think our, our daughter's going to be going there in the fall. So we're very excited to extend that uh, uh, that tradition uh, in our family. So uh, she'll be doing some sort of art program and music and jazz. So uh, uh, excited to be seeing more Jayhawks uh, materials and, and you know logos walking around our house again. Uh, but you know, why lighting? You know, my wife and I, when we graduated 30 years ago, uh, we kind of fell in love with the ability to marry the technology of of something, you know, high high engineering, uh, as well as the artistic element. How to apply that artistically? And um, we we were taught with some really great uh, instructors over the time where you learn to almost paint with light. And once you once you realize that you're able to paint with light and to really impact spaces. You can make uh, good architecture look great and you can make great architecture look amazing. And so lighting has just been something that we've been, uh, we fell in love with early on in our, in our you know, education and, and, and have been doing it ever since. Very cool. March is a big time of year for a Kansas Jayhawks fan. Yeah, so. we blew out, we blew out uh, t- Texas Southern yesterday, uh, 27 point game at the end. It was like it was like basketball one on one class. <laughs> sure. 
Well, neat. That's a, a interesting perspective. Marrying that kind of left brain, right brain of art and engineering sounds like your daughter may be in that same vein of a, mu- a jazz musician. That's kind of the uh, the whole brain genre of music too. So that's very cool. Absolutely. No, she's 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 amazing. What does she play? She plays the uh, tenor sax, and um, and she's just she's so she's got some great teachers and just having a lot of fun and and. Uh, we we had to post her uh, KU um, when you go when you go do auditions you, we have to post them on online so they're actually on YouTube I don't, uh, so people go actually go see your auditions if they want if they wanted to we're gonna look look her up later for sure well uh, so back to lighting <laughs> help us understand uh, you've done a lot of work with this uh, circadian safe technology you've developed and the impact of LEDs on our circadian rhythm. Uh, so help us understand the negative impl- influence that these bluish LED lights can have on our circadian cycle and, and sleep patterns. Yeah, no problem. It's one of my favorite subjects. Um, I did a lecture tour that took me all the way to Europe to uh, talk about it. I think at the time it was called Your LEDs Are Poking Me in the Ganglion Cells, um, which is a part of the <laughs> eye that uh, is very sensitive to blue light. And you know, we even learned more. I mean, that was a, a number of years ago, but we continue to learn more about uh, the technologies that are, are out there, but also learn more about the eye uh, since then. But I, I have, you know, one of the things I would point out is that blue light really isn't damaging to us. Uh, it's really the question is, when are you exposing yourself to this blue light? Uh, during the daytime, you actually can't get enough blue light typically in, uh, in, your, in your eyes um, unless you spend almost the entire day outside. So um, in one of the elements we have being in the fact that most people work indoors and work within, you know, underneath roofs and in spaces, um, it's really hard to get the amount of blue light that you need. So um, one of the things we, we talk about is just learning and understanding sort of the cycle of that. And so when you say, well, what does that mean for blue light? What, how do you get that? Well, you actually can't put enough lights in a room to get blue light when you need it. So uh, throughout the day cycle, when from 10 a.m. to sunset, roughly, you need to be, have uh, super exposure to blue light. And they, they found out that you can really get away with about an hour worth of blue light of, if you went outside to reset your cycle, reset, reset, reset your, um, your circadian rhythm. Your, your internal circadian rhythm is actually a 23-hour clock, not a 24-hour clock. So it actually runs, but you want to reset it every day. And so that's why if you, when you go to, let's say you travel, you get on an airplane, you travel to Japan, you'll notice that you have, it takes some time to get adjusted to that. That's your circadian rhythm adjusting for the fact that uh, it's even more than the 23 hour clock difference because your body can adjust throughout the year. You know, when we see the sun, when the sun takes um, you know, goes down sooner throughout the evenings. You know, you know, it's, it's dark at five instead of ten. Um, so your your body adjusts that naturally. So your body is very flexible in those senses. But the problem is long term. So how does you how do you uh, how is your lifestyle affecting you long term? Are you spending enough time outside? And you go, oh, you know, if I can go out, I can do that when I'm you know next week or next you know next, tomorrow or you know I can get more daylight when I, when I retire, you know, whatever. But the truth is, is that, you know, it's the exposure of blue light at the right times of day 
for a lifetime that really will actually determine whether or not you are susceptible to Alzheimer's, um, brain brain de degradation and, and memory, memory loss and things like that. So there's a lot of white papers, a lot of research being done to prove that. Um, there's a lot of people that already believe that like I do. Uh, and so I think there's going to be, uh, I think you're going to see a shift in the way people operate once they understand that, hey, being indoors all the time actually isn't good. And it doesn't matter how much blue light you get in um, during the day, you can't get enough unless you go outside. And so that's an important element. Uh, but once you are, once the sun goes down, once you are supposed to have expo no exposure to light, uh, minimal, um, especially light that's above the horizon, uh, you can actually, in, in fact, in fact, change the way you sleep and how how much melatonin is going to be produced, whether or not you actually produce any melatonin to fall asleep. I don't know about you guys, but I work till I pass out. Like I work all day, I work all night, and then eventually I go to bed. It's actually really bad. Um, what you really need to do is fall asleep naturally. And if you just go and you pass out, what actually happens is you're actually skipping a number of steps in your sleep cycle that you're missing. Because what ends up happening is you're, you're not actually sleeping due to the melatonin making you sleepy. So what happens is when melatonin you have basically a um, you have two restrictors in your brain that's that's producing either cortisol or it's producing melatonin, and blue light is the mechanism for that control. So you either have an on or you have an off. So if there's blue light around, you don't need a whole bunch to keep the um, keep the melatonin squeezed off. So you got that you know you're basically squeezing off the hose. You say no mo no melatonin. There's there's light around. There's blue light. So we'll keep that melatonin and let's open up that hose for. Uh, so cortisol keep you awake and keep you active. But eventually the sun goes down and the body goes, oh, I think the sun's down. I think it's time to open up that melatonin so you can start to get sleepy. And you'll notice that if you sit around, if you go camping, it happens naturally. Like because you don't have any cameras around, you don't have lights and you're not inside of a building. Notice how almost within a couple of maybe in one night, maybe two nights, you fall asleep naturally. You're like, oh, man, I'm so tired. I'm just going to go to bed now. You know, after you've been sitting around the fireplace, you know, making s'mores and things like that, which we love to do. Um, but you fall in that natural rhythm pretty easily. And we just, because we're so technically uh, advanced as a, as a culture and society, we can turn on our own lights and we can keep ourselves awake and we, and we change our, our sleep cycles pretty easily. What we want to do in a residential application is make the home as earth-centric as possible. So how is, what does that mean? What does that mean when you say circadian rhythms? What do you mean that when you change the light? Well, that means we have to have control of all the lighting in the home and it needs to be automated. It needs to be in a way where you go, I hit one button, it says I'm home and it does whatever you, whatever is gonna be required for the home at that time. So you're gonna see things like um, in the high-end homes that we do this with, um, Maybe after everybody's asleep, uh, one example would be um, one thing that you don't want to do is flip on the lights in the bathroom, right? You don't want to go in and go flip on the lights because uh, the amount of brightness and the duration of brightness will determine whether or not you're going to open up or start producing cortisol or not. So what you want to do is you don't want to start opening that hose for cortisol. You want to be able to stay sleepy, right? You don't. I don't know what you guys do, but I, I, I actually... 
I let the moonlight into my window open and I just try to just figure out where I'm going. I don't want to flip on any lights because if I do, you can, you can hurt your eyes. You can start to see you're starting to wake up. You're like, oh, turn that light off quick, 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 just so you don't interrupt yourself. And so what we want to do is automate that. And so we actually use, we, uh, we'll use a special um, lights solutions underneath toe kicks, underneath sinks, under, you know, anything that's below the horizon. And we'll, we'll carve out all light except for maybe a monochromatic scenario like um, we'll maybe just go to an amber LED, uh, depending on the um, sort of the client's wishes. Because if you do amber, you can actually get a monochromatic, so it only produces one wavelength. Very similar to the way that the guys that are in submarines work under red lights. You know, if you see that in the movies, they flip on a red light so they, their their eyes are adjusted, but they can still see. But we don't want to light up everything. We just want to light your walkways. We want enough light so you can see the sink and flip it on. Uh, and you can do that with any color, really. You can actually do it with blue if you wanted to, you know, play on the edge. Um, and so... As long as it's below the horizon, the photogalian cells are actually on the bottom side of your eye. And there's only about 10,000 of them that are in your eye. You have, I think, a trillion receptors in your eye. So when you only have 10,000 of them, they're kind of looking for this special scenario of sunlight going up. You can actually trick the eye and say, okay, well, there's no light here. And if you notice, when you're sitting around the fireplace or sitting around this campfire, you still get sleepy. And you're like, well, that's light, and it can be pretty bright. But the issue is really it's, it's not very bright, and it actually doesn't have much blue in it. And so and it's below the horizon. All those things are features, and that allows you to say, look, I can stand in a fire, and I don't get tired. That's light. Well, that's true. But there's factors in the reason why it's not um, keeping you up. And so um, what, whether or not it was fate or just happenstance, all LEDs, 90% plus of all LEDs have a spike right at the same photoceptor, photosensitive receptor of that photosensitive ganglion cell we talked about. They both are at the same wavelength, 460 nanometers roughly. And so you can actually use that LED to your benefit when you can, you know, during the day. And then what we do is we have a, we use a violet chip. He was mentioning that earlier. We have a violet chip and we mix those two LEDs. So violet chips are much more expensive because you're basically using a near UV LED and then carving out the light at that color temperature uh, of 460 so that there's less light than a typical LED. So you shift those two things. You actually can keep the color temperature fairly the same, CRI, all those things you can not change. But we change the color on purpose. So it'll be during the daytime, you get high, higher color. People will call it cooler. People might say it's more daylight. Think 4,000 to 5,000 degrees, 5,000 uh, Kelvin. And then when you dim it down, you know, so typically when you had dimmers um, prior to LEDs, it got warmer. Remember those? There was halogen, LED, you know, even the regular day lamps. As you dim it down, they get warmer. Well, that's that's 1,800K, that's 1,400K, 2,700K, those cool, warmer colors. So we actually build that into our LEDs. So we have an LED that's 2,700 or it might be 2,400 all the way up to 5,000, and it shifts naturally from one to the other, but it also shifts the technology. So it has a blue spike at the cooler temperature and carves out that blue niche once we go to the warmer temperature. So um, we're, the only, we're the only people that do that. Um, most people just go, well, we'll just use blue LEDs for both of them, and, and it'll be close enough. But, um, you know, my goal is to sort of be on the edge of technology and, and push it and be as ideal as possible. Interesting. 
enough. That's fascinating. Yeah. Lots, lots there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just carved up an hour, hour lecture into whatever, 15 minutes. <laughs> no, definitely fascinating and uh, mind opening to the whole science that goes behind what you're doing every day and is behind me flipping on a light switch in the middle of the night to uh, when I'm up. So that's, um, yeah, very helpful. So really, it's not harmful. The, saying that it's harmful blue LEDs isn't isn't the right phrase. It's correct. Blue LEDs at a harmful time. You know, we need it during the day. We need to kind of be um, ratcheting back on exposure in the evenings. And so you're working with your clients or, you know, through your technology to manage that. Is that a good summation? I think that's a great way to think of it. And I also think that there's a contingency of people selling product that would say, look, we can do a Blue Ridge environment uh, for you during the day. You can do it at work. You can you can do it in an application where it's bringing, you know, you use high blue in an office application. I think that's fine. But the truth is, is that you still can't get enough light there and particularly in California, where we have Tile 24, where you're restricted the amount of light, um, which is actually anti-human to uh, restrict the amount of light that's required for people to operate. There, it's, it, was, it, was a, it was a requirement based off of the California's required or a desire to produce and build fewer power plants. And so they said, well, let's, let's produce. What can we do? Well, we can reduce the amount of light that people need. And this may be controversial, but I know I know exactly how the process was done. You know, um, in, when the IES, the Illuminating Engineering Society, produced the standards for lighting, they basically did an actual what we would call social studies. We brought in, they built rooms. They had people come in, hundreds of people come in of all different di- um, ages um, and you know, diversity, so they can say, okay, based off of our experience with people reading text and to be able to do certain operations, these are the light levels that are required. California cut all of that in half. Wow. And they said, yeah, you can still see. Well, yeah, you can still see. That's not the question. The question is, is what's the right amount of light? And the studies are already done. And so to see California do that, um, we have we have a contingency of people that recognize that that was all due to being an energy efficiency requirement has nothing to do with being human. And now they're coming back and saying, well, what, what could be the right answer now that we have much more efficient LEDs, much more ability to control color, you know, and, and I think there's going to be a shift back to being a human centric solution. So I really hope, hope that's the case. And um, I, I'm going to be an advocate for that. I would love to uh, have this be promoted to the right people you know, so people can see it and understand that. Yeah, for those that don't know, Title 24 is the energy code in California that affects pretty much all segments of building products. We deal with it with energy efficiency and solar reflectivity and other requirements on roofing products and obviously relates to lighting as well. But uh, definitely something that's going to continue disrupting the industry because most people are pointing to Title 24 as a uh, use case for every other area of the country adopting their own versions of it. So some of the challenges that come when trying to uh, standardize and and define what's best and healthy for all of us, taking all factors into consideration. So yeah, and Title Twenty Four has never been about health, and so it's always been about the environment. And I think that's fine. That's great. We can do those things, but you have you have to bring the human element into it. And um, there's certain things that you, 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 you would do differently if, if, if you knew and we, we paid more attention to. So I, I appreciate Tile 24, but I think the wellness standards, you know, from well building, um, 
you can go online and go look up and well building standards, you're going to see a much more human centric solution to uh, building standards. And I think more and more people are becoming, you know, uh, you know, w- aware of well building tech technologies and approaches so that uh, you, be- you you don't just try to save the environment, you try to make people healthy. Sure. Uh, surprise, surprise. It's a multivariable conversation. So if it, if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So obviously something you've uh, spent 30 years learning everything you can about and are incredibly passionate about. Tell us how um, this and expertise and interest is playing out in your company's Fox and Fox Designs and uh, Ascenti Lighting and what both of those companies are working on uh, today. So Fox and Fox Design is a, is a design firm. So we do um, we get hired by architects and interior designers and developers to help co- create a solution for uh, a project. And my my interest is really geared towards beauty. I like having I like to be able to solve problems that uh, require an aesthetic and a uh, um, you know a creative element to it. And not that not to say that I, my wife is my wife is also in the industry, but she does mostly schools. K through 12 institutional work and it's beautiful work. Um, but it's, it's a different sort of creative, uh, requirement. There's a lot more linear products. There's, you know, you're dealing with a lot more linear codes, uh, or, um, lighting requirements for students and classrooms and hallways and corridors and things. Uh, whereas for when I do residential and, and hospitality, um, the light levels are much, much less, uh, in your, trying to be as creative as possible with integration and, and the costs are different. You know, your, 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 your budgets to do these kinds of things are a little higher. And so I, I, maybe it's because of just my the sort of my exposure, but I've been, we've narrowed it down to those kinds of projects um, over the, over the years. And so Fox and Fox is really geared towards uh, hospitality and, and design and, and residential and hospitals and, Things where you know technical element of light is, is sort of critical, and then Cinti uh, uh, Lighting was was born in, in um, 2006. It was originally called Rayek Products, but we we rebranded it more recently, I think in 2018, and it was really based off of the. I've, I've been doing a lot of custom work ever since I started. You know, my wife and I actually uh, were overseas a number of years, nation building for the Sultan of Brunei. Uh, so we were in Asia living and um, we, we probably specified two or three billion dollars worth of lighting while we were there. Uh, we lit everything from roadways to convention centers to homes to conference centers to, you know, resorts, uh, anything you could think of that a city or a country would need. We were the sole lighting designers for. And so there was a lot of work going into that and a lot of custom elements that uh, went into those things. And, and and when we came back to the States, uh, we, we, we had this vast knowledge that we didn't have before. And what custom work turns out to be something that because of my industrial design background in, in school, I studied under Victor Papanek, who is a uh, world famous industrial designer. And uh, he actually worked directly for Frank Lloyd Wright when he was a kid. He had to lie. This is a great story. He had to lie and say he was 16 when he was 14. Because back in Chicago back then, you had to be 16 to work, you know, because of child labor laws. So even though he was only 14, he had to lie and told Frank directly, how old are you? I'm, I'm 16. He goes, 
All right, you can go. <laughs> so um, anyway, Victor became uh, famous in his own right um, after that. And uh, industrial design has been something that I've always been passionate about. And so that's what that's what custom lighting design is. It's t it's marrying industrial design with your skills in, in lighting. And so it was a good match for me because there's nothing – uh, nothing I really need to learn about lighting at this point. It's more of how do I can, how can I apply it uh, and and make it interesting and make it uh, beautiful. So um, I would I really it was a really great story in how we started. Cinti uh, was uh, being asked to help, or Foxy Fox was being asked to help with a Louis Vuitton project in in Vegas, and it's a great project still there today. Uh, and it was a we were going to do the interior and exterior. We we got paid $75,000 to do the develop a design for the exterior of this building. We did full on drawings, you know, sets, sets of drawings to go out and get bid for lighting manufacturers. And I had three no bids. Nobody wanted to do it. They all said it was impossible. And I said, or maybe one of them said, you know, we, we could do it, but we're too busy, you know, and it sounds too much work, blah, blah, blah. And I was really frustrated with that because not only did I know it was not impossible, but I, I, and this, this the uh, director of architecture for Louis Vuitton is a good friend of mine. We actually worked in Brunei together and I didn't want to let him down. So I basically said, look, I'm going to sign a non-disclosure agreement uh, with, with one of the manufacturers and I'm going to help them build it. So I, I started uh, Ray Products to build Louis Vuitton. And it's really off the concept of don't tell me it can't be done. That's really what it's been. Uh, and that's really how uh, Cinti has been built ever since. If you say it can't be done, give us a call. You know, it's, that's usually how we get these jobs. And we've done so many crazy kind of work that you, that has nothing to do with just lighting. It's, it's, it has a lighting element always typically. Um, but you know, things to, you know, take photography, shots better for selling coins um you know uh, all kinds of things that are just insane you know robotics I mean, incorporated into it you know a lot of video um so it's it's been a technical uh kind of company uh but it just specializes in lighting so so as senti has worked is working on things with manufacturers like what you described earlier of scooping the spectrum here or boosting it here and making those tweaks to fit the exact need you're trying to accomplish on a project is that yeah color could be a big element to it but um you know there might be uh you know because of the way that we build things you know there's there's giant chandeliers that are you know eight foot diameter that no one else wants to do and it's outdoor you know and it's hung by four four columns um in the middle of a walkway and no one else wanted to touch it. So we said, well, we can do that. And so we built these giant rings. They're actually in Philadelphia, um, in, in Conchocan, uh, Philadelphia area. And and then, you know, we would do, uh, we did a chandelier, which is on our website for GSK. GSK, Glasgow, Smith & Klein, um, they worked on, they helped uh, build the COVID, um, you know, uh, testing equipment and things like that. And they're they're a big pharmaceutical, and they had a they wanted to do a giant double helix through a, a, a triple hide space in one of their factories, and it's it was like eighty feet long. And how do you do that? How do you make that so it looks like it's floating and kind of kind of loose into the space? 
And uh, so we engineered a solution that, you know, even my own team didn't think was possible. They're like, eh, we can't do it that way. Like, yeah, we can. And so I had even, it, it took time to even convince my own engineers that it was possible. They had to do all this testing. You know, we did do three mock-ups and one of them, the mock-ups is full scale. It's in our, in our warehouse lit up. It looks cool just out. So we had an extra one. So might as well hang it. Um, but again, you know, the, what we got from our customer was a sketch. It was a, literally just a rendering of some two lights of two things of light going through an elevator. You know, it wasn't even done in 3D. It was just an elevation saying, can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> a year later, you know, it was like a nine-month process. But uh, uh, we th- I, I, I thrive off of that. I mean, if I had to do, and no, no, no offense to my own wife, but if I had to do schools all day long, I would have a, I would have a hard time. I, I really like challenges that are different. Uh, and I like, to, I like, you know, I'm waiting for someone to call me and go, Hey, I want to do a car. You know, like, all right, let's do it. So, you know, I'll probably have to do it to my cyber truck. So do you have one on order? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm first. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I was, I was as bad. I was at battery day listening. And, um, the way that worked is that, Battery day ended, screen went black, and then a sign came up that says, or reserve yours now. And so I just clicked that and filled all the forms. So I don't, I'm not first, but I, I'm pretty damn close. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. It'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to have that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll plaster it with the Cynthia lighting stuff and we'll take it to the trade shows and yeah, it'll be fun. Well, that don't tell me it can't be done attitude is what uh, we need more of to innovate and disrupt. So admire that. And uh, it's inspiring to hear those stories about uh, what you're working on and, and pushing the envelope. So, uh, you know, so the this is how you're interacting with industry on these passions and, and uh, all that you're learning in terms of what we need from healthy lighting. Uh, if we were to walk into uh, a home that a high-end residence that you've worked on, how would it look different? Would we tell that the lighting was, uh, was hued differently? Would we see different features? What, what would that experience be, be like for us? Well, we just submitted for awards and you'll get to see a lot of it because, um, we just won awards for it. Um, this project that we just finished, uh, and we've got, we've got three more in, in, you know, behind them ready to go, uh, that we'll get to, we'll be able to submit and, and finish. But the customers, the goal for the customer is that they wouldn't have to touch any light sources, right? They wouldn't have to be able to control anything. They just come in, you know, they hit one button that says home and then uh, the light, the house is automated. So you'll see some switches. They can turn things off if they want. They can override. Um, so you'll see the switches and things like that. But what you'll notice is there are a lot of, there's, there'll be a lot of in, integrated lights, we avoid down lights like it's the plague. I mean, you guys, call, some people call them, don't, they, I don't know, they call them, um, in the East Coast, they, call, they don't call them down lights. But, you know, like the little, the little ceiling holes, you know, on the ceilings, they just, oh, they call them cans, they call them. Can lights, yeah. Can lights, yeah. So all those things we try to integrate into the, into the space. And so you're going to see a lot more integrated under counters. You're going to see a lot more in toe kicks. You're going to see them under beds. You're going to see them under cabinets. You're going to see the decorative things. Um, you know, they would actually be controlled too. But one of the things you will really notice is the, the fact that 
the light actually would have more than one source in the space. And I used to teach at the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandise. We call it FITM here in California. And it's for interior design. Um, it teaches mostly interior design, Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandise. So in, in there's an interior design program, and I was teaching lighting there. And I was teaching lighting 101 to a bunch of interior designers that were just fresh out of high school. So it's like, okay, how do you teach lighting to, you know, non-lighting people? Uh, and they're not, lighting's not going to be their specialty. And so we came up with a phrase or an acronym called TADA, like TADA. And it was, it's, it's T-A-D-A, right? So that stood for four different things, task, ambient, decorative, and accent. And my, my philosophy that we did for these, these students was, if you can touch three out of those four and explain them in your presentation to your lighting, when you're trying to make a presentation to me about lighting design, and, you know, because you're going to do a project by the end of the year, and you can talk about three of those four elements, at a minimum, you have a potentially good lighting design, right? That's the whole point. So the idea is that you don't just stick, go in a room and put a bunch of downlights in it and call it lighting design. We don't do that. You know, we want to know where the art is. We want to know what, how to, what, you know, typically, um, particularly now, um, and me being over 50 and having aging eyes and all those things, you need more light. And people don't put enough more light into the space. They just put brighter downlights, which are more glary, which if you start to get cataracts, you can't see them. You have to turn them off and you can't see it. Just a, it's just a cycle. So we solve those problems with um, up lights. We, we solve the built into wall washers. We build them into um, some integrated pieces that spread the light source out so that you don't have a brighter source. You have more sources. And, um, and then, you know, you work out, you know, sconces that are the right, the right feel for the space, but not too glary. And, um, and then you integrate for, for nighttime because you definitely don't want to have lights overhead at night. So how do you get the space to be functional? So can you still work and have dinner and, you know, have friends over and things like that, where you can still reduce the light level, but, you know, not, don't have it, not have everything lit up from above. So, um, I think that's you. You would you'd have to understand a little bit more about light to know the difference. But you would say, you would look at the space and go, "Wow, this is really well lit, or really cool." And you know, everything's got a everything seems to have to be lit where it's supposed to be because the art is lit when it, you know the art piece is actually lit itself. Um, you know, so it takes some time and, and it takes some energy to do that properly. But um, we we tell our we're doing a house right now where there's no downlights in the entire house. It's three thousand square foot wow. home with not a single downlight it it's actually my interior designer insisting on it she's like i don't want any downlights in here at all i'm like come on we gotta have a few just a few we need them where where's the art gonna be she's like we're not gonna do any art i'm like no no no. you're gonna do some art i mean this is not we know there's art in this house but there's not much and so everything's integrated it's built into the you know they have backlit stone they have backlit countertops they've got you know shelves that are going to have all in little knickknacks in the shelves and there's going to be a wall where all all the family art is and they really don't want any downlights in the whole house and i'm like yes it's possible it's doable but let me put a couple in because that really adds to that it adds to the pop in the space if you like the right thing people will see it and we did my first house my very first design when we started fox and fox 2002 so we're now talking 20 years ago it's actually a neighbor of ours, and they pulled out this beautiful green 
sculpture of a, of a, of a bird that they had. And he goes, I want to light this up. I'm like, perfect. Where do you want it? And we said, well, I want it as soon as you walk in the entry. And so we had, when you walk into this house, you know, it was the angle of the light was so perfect that it produced no shadow on the wall, no shadow on the, um, the pedestal. And it was just this perfect, beautiful light. And everyone you walk, every time you walk in, it just pops. And that was really, you know, that was, that was something that was important 20 years ago. So it's still important today. A lot more of intention going into it than just uh, putting a giant light fixture in the middle of the ceiling and calling it good. Oh, but. Not only that, but you don't only put the big, you put one light in the middle, but you put a fan on it. So it's all one, all, you know, three things in one. Right. Yeah. So how does that, you're, you know, this is where you're placing the art. This is where your cabinet's going to be or, or dresser and et cetera. So how does uh, that process work for someone like my wife that likes to rearrange the living room every few months? Um, well, furniture, we don't, we try not to marry furniture that much. And so furniture can move around. Um, typically, one of the re ways that I solve that problem is every fixture is actually adjustable. And so um, what you'll see in most cans and most homes, particularly spec homes, is basically a disc. Um, this isn't one, but kind of something like this, where you just, it just produces a lot of light and it just, it just glows. It doesn't do anything. Um, I got a fixture here. You'll find this in most, re most residential lighting designers. So I'm not the only one. So most lighting designers are aware of these kind of concerns, uh, and they address them pretty much the same way. But here's a fixture that is a puck light. Now we just developed this. This is the only puck light puck light uh, goes into cabinets. You can see it's pretty shallow. You, you cut a hole, you pop it into the hole and it holds it in place, right? This goes into under cabinets and things like that. But what's unique about this one is first of all, it's got a deep recess. So the LED is actually pretty deep in there. So as you rotate away, you actually don't, it doesn't get as, you know, you lose brightness, right? But here's the other beautiful element. It's adjustable. So we can point it where we want on the shelf or in the space. And we got these all the way up to five inch. This is this is the uh, three inch and there's a four inch and a five inch. So this is an adjustable fixture for doing these kinds of things. And we get, we put the light where we want it. So the, crit, the critical element is to recognize that people definitely want to move things around. Um, and how do you build, build for that in the future? There's so much of, uh, it sounds like so much that goes into this design is understanding um, understanding your customer and understanding how they're going to use the space and live into the space. So what in, in selling uh, salesperson world, we call that needs analysis and consultative selling. So what's, what are your best practices for having those conversations and really uh, unearthing what the ideal solution is going to be for your clients? Time, you know, you really spend time with the client and um, you have to be able to uh, have them be able to communicate some of the things that are, are uh, may may not be something that they're even know how to ask or even know how to. So you kind of have to pull it out, and it's it's a it's a delicate process. You know, we try not to come in with a solution right away and say, "Here, this is the answer, and this is how we do it." We really want to present sort of this is how we're approaching it, and these are the ways we want to see these things, and then let them take some ownership of the of the decisions. But there's that's sort of the the philosophy of um, there's a great book uh, that is that's out uh, that talks about that sales technique 
and it's called getting naked. And the idea is um, to, to be vulnerable as a salesperson is to learn how to be vulnerable. Um, I'll send you the link of the book. It's a great book. My wife's um, uh, executive training class just took it and I bought it just so I could have it. Um, and it's really about if you come in with a solution and you're the expert, right? Because I am an expert, right? But if you come in and say, okay, this is the right answer. This is how we do it. And you don't let them sort of catch up or even or even have questions or or even have any buy-in, um, what they do, if you, if you fail in any way, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it looks, it's disparaging on you, right? You're, you're, well, you're not the expert you thought you were, or you say you were. And the truth is, is that all, all that changed was you, you said, this is the right answer. And what, what you want to be able to do is say, Hey, we want to get the right answer for you. How do we, let's see if we can solve this problem. And they may come back and say, Hey, we didn't really like this. Well, okay, what can we fix? You know, there's this, then there's this belief that we can solve those problems together. And that process is, is, uh, huge. So I would, I, I've been encouraging people to read this book ever since, um, I, um, we read it, but it's, it's a phenomenal book. Let me see if I can pull it up, uh, while we're talking. But yeah, uh, Getting Naked by Patrick Lasoni, Lasoni. But look it up. It's a great book. Definitely will. And it's so important. I love that you started off with time. You know, we, we try to uh, crank through all the tasks that we have on a given day. But, you know, if you do take that time, if you go through that process, you're going to come up with a better solution where everyone's going to be more satisfied at the end of the project. And uh, you get to charge more for your services. Good well, selling means, you know, some <laughs> some margins. So it, uh, you know, there's houses being built without uh, thousands of dollars being invested on lighting design. But if you walk through uh, that process with someone and help them understand how you can make their life better, uh, they're going to see value there. Yeah, I can't stand spec homes anymore. It just it it, it boils me when I see them, and they're and you've got Home Depot puck lights, which are just the flat. They're, not even, they're called pancake lights, and they're just everywhere, just pancake lights everywhere. And it's just, you know, it may take good photography because it's all lit up and it looks great in a photo, but I just, I can't even be in these rooms. It just, it hurts me. Well, I got to, I got to tell you, my, my mind is just turning as you're talking and I'm going through my, the upstairs of my house. Like, what, what can we do? Like, I'm ready to <laughs> change our lighting. I'll give you, I'll give you a great example of that. Um, I had a great project, great client, uh, so open to ideas, and you know we would kick around things together. We were doing the whole, we're doing the whole house, and we're we're changing, you know, we're doing all, the, we're applying a lot of the technology and the ideas that we have here. And um, the wife of this guy uh, insisted that she do the bedroom, like she's an interior designer. I want to do it the way I want to do it. And we're not, we're not going to use your dumb fixtures. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, all right, hey, I'll, you, I, I don't have to do any of this. I can walk away today. He's like, no, no, no you get back here. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't want to get in the drama. So anyway, she says, I'm going to do this room. And I'm like, all right, so don't use, don't use the technology we're doing. Don't, you know, don't use the fixtures we're specifying. Don't use any of the technology that, that we have. And we'll let you do your, your, the room the way that you like it. After they're done, she came up and admitted that the only room that she doesn't like is the bedroom, the one that she did. And I think it, it, it was a testament to the idea that I, it was a failure on my part because I couldn't convince her of a conversation that the husband was, he was on board, 
but I couldn't, I couldn't talk to her in a way that made her feel comfortable about what I did. And that's, and, and that's unfortunate. I wish I could have solved that problem differently. They're super happy with me. We're, we're still good friends. Um, but it was, it was interesting to have that experience where I'm like, look, you, you don't need me. You, anybody can do this. That's fine. Uh, but to, to have her own up to it and say, I actually, I don't like the way I like yours better, um, was interesting. And, and, and it was, I felt bad because I didn't know how else to deal with that problem, but that was a little, that's a little intimate. That's the uh, getting naked part on that book. I know that 3D printing, switching gears a little bit, uh, 3D printing is another uh, interest of yours. And that has been something that we've talked about here on the podcast some uh, in regards to 3D printing of entire homes. Uh, so is that does that overlap with all this that we're talking about? Absolutely. Okay. How, how so? We are... I am a huge 3D printing fan, and we use 3D printing literally yesterday. We use it almost every day um, for for prototyping and for parts that need to be done uh, in in the field. So we have we have a SLA printer from Form Labs. It's a production style printer where you can actually produce things that can you can use in the real world. And so um, it, we we produce parts that are you know clips or mounting or cover plates, things like that, that are actually painted and, and used in the final product and shipped to the site. So it's been phenomenal as far as a, as far as the uh, utility of it is, because the parts that we would need to have built would have needed a sand casting. So you'd, you'd either, or a machine, 3D printed, uh, 3D CNC machine parts, and we can produce it uh, without metal. We don't, in this case, we don't need it to be metal. So we, we 3D print it and um, it's a finished product when it's done. So we use it all the time. I have a I have a secret plan to produce a entire company that does just three D printed lighting products. Um, it's not so secret now, I guess, but um, no one really knows how what what it means. So, but um, I, yeah, we're we're gonna. I I think we could change the entire market uh, of one of these industries significantly. That we would just take up most of the market share. So, I just need. A couple million dollars for that. So right, <laughs> that was super cool. How yeah, how neat a new technology like that just further equipping and supporting, um, and ex- letting your creativity run wild all the more when you can go go out back and make it up yourself rather than going to someone and convincing them to get tooled up for it. Yeah, we did we did some initial studies on three D printed finished products, and we can cut the BOM, which is the build materials to build a fixture. By a third, so if you if it needs a hundred parts to build a fixture, we can we can do it in thirty parts, and that's where you save money and time and assembly, and so we really we really think that um, that's our future, and I I want to I want to be part of that, and uh, again you talk about disrupting that's that's that is a major disruptor, I want to I my I want my factory floor to have thirty. 3D printers running 24 hours a day producing product for the world. So that's that's our goal. Awesome. Look forward to watching that coming to fruition here moving forward. But you mentioned earlier, I wanted to ask you about uh, 
you know, on the residential side, wanting all the lighting to be automated, um, something that we're starting to hear more and more about are these smart home systems. Is that getting tied into a greater automation system for the entire home? And what have you seen being on the the leading edge of that? And and what do you foresee coming on down the down the pike? There's so many cool ways to do automation now, um, and I'm I'm enjoying playing with all these different technologies. So we have a we have an app on our on the Apple Store called uh, Ascenti BLE, and it basically marries some technology of controls that make it easy for you to use your phone to control some lights. Um, it's certainly, we don't I don't I can't do that with just the home quite yet uh, with with that uh, with that app, but you theoretically could do almost an entire home where it's just controlled with your phone. Um, there's a couple. There's a couple of companies that are really sort of leading the edge on that, um, as far as trying to make it sort of user friendly and DIY, and you know, sort of you know, something that people could do from from the home. Um, Oso is. Um, I can't remember. I'm not getting it right, but he's going to be on my podcast in a week or so, and he's got some brand new product that's that's wireless and 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 helps with the automation of the circadian rhythm stuff. Um, but right now it's, it's really, it's hard to do because the biggest problem is, is that you end up buying products from all these different companies and each one has its own kind of its own ideas about what it's going to be for controls. And so to marry all of those technologies, you need a system that, that takes all those different inputs and then makes it so that it's easy. The, the UI is easy. Like you just push a button, right? So, what we found is by moving the whole house to DMX, DMX, DMX 512, it's a theatrical um, protocol. There's ArtNet and there's Dolly, D-A-L-I, all these different technologies that are trying to do the same thing, but they all have their own limitations. And so DMX allows us the flexibility to buy multiple manufacturers, develop it into the custom fixtures, you know, you can have it in your mirror, you can have it associated with the kitchen, you can have it associated with the downlights. And once you figured out, once we did the research and found out, well, DMX is the easiest way to go, um, you're going to, you're, there's going to be more and more of that. And wireless is, is good, but um, I, I feel it that wireless is going to be, it's going to be a uh, sort of a, you know, a diet Coke version of regular Coke. You know, it's going to, it'll be there. It'll always be there, but it'll always be the diet version. Um, you know, when you want to do full on controls, uh, you don't want to just control the lighting. You want to control the, sh- the shades. You want to control your cameras for your security system. You want to control the gate, front gate, the back gate. You want to control your, your garage doors. You want to control your hot tub. You want to control the lights in your pool. You want to control your landscape lights. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And so that's why you see Crestron, you see Lutron, you see Vantage, uh, you see, you want to see Control 4. Uh, these are all home automation systems. And you need a specialist for that. And that's why we partner with a company called Acasa Life. Um, and they and we, we tackle those kind of jobs together. Because I'm just the lighting guy. He does everything else, right? The integrators. And so those guys are... If you find good integrators, they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, they're just, I mean, they, they'll call you, you can call them up and go, Hey, I've got a problem with my television. And then you go, I got a problem with my pool. You know, I got, I got a problem with my landscape lights. You know, it's just one guy that call you can call. And so 
that those guys are worth their weight in gold, and there's just not 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 enough of them in the world. Um, they're all buried. They're all too busy. And so, um, if I was to talk about disruption and the amount of automation that's coming, I would I would like I'm going to be encouraging my own kids. You know, I mean, if there's people out there that want to want to find a job that that's fun and exciting and always different. You want to be in automation. You want to be in the home automation systems. You want to learn about Crestron. You want to be an expert, get certified. Uh, you will have so much fun. You'll make six figures easily and you'll be traveling all over the world. So how's that for a sales pitch? That's what I was looking for. So it's going to be big business. So big. yeah, I had a I had enough trouble connecting my one grill to my wireless router. So having another 80 things in the house to take care of that need, you know, I'm definitely going to be outsourcing that someday. Yeah. Uh, so interesting. We just finished a house where all the downlights, he has downlights and he has everything else, but every single light source in that room, and it's about a 3000 square foot house. Every single source is color changing, even the downlights. And not only that, but every downlight is individually controlled. So you don't just flip on a light. I mean, you do because we, we program it that way, but we also can hit St. Patrick's Day and all the lights, half lights turn green, you know, and, you know, Christmas, they're red and green. You know, it's just, it, every, it's, yeah, it's unend, unending options once you go to DMX. So you obviously have your finger on the pulse of cutting edge things. Any Any other pitches or insights you have for our audience before we wrap up? <laughs> Be open to to new things and um, find some people that you know want to help you uh, achieve the goals that you have. Don't be married to a, a a solution. You know, there's lots of ways to skin a cat, and so you might find out that you know you you want to do it one way, and then you know you, you're in the middle of the research, you find another way of solving that problem. So everything's got a budget. You know, there's people that with that don't have big budgets, and there are people that have huge budgets. And all of these things are cap- are all of these things are possible with different ways, and you just have to, you know, listen to listen to the customer, listen to what they have in mind, but you also have to have the skills. You have to have you have to know those options. If you're going to be the expert, you got to be the one that um, you know that can throw those three or four options out there for based off a of budget. So it's hard. I mean, like I said, if if it, if it was easy, I think everyone would do it. And I think. Um, simpler the better, you know. And I think bringing these other technologies that make it simplified uh, are, are going to be huge, huge um, game changers. And don't say it can't be done. Don't say it can't be done. Our other phrase is always be ascending. You know, ascending lighting is really about moving upward and moving forward. And, and if, if you're not learning every day, um, you're dying every day. I mean, we we talk about this. It's a, you know, there's only two stat- states of being in this in this universe. You're either growing or you're dying. There is no status quo. There is no, um, you know, you know, salt, uh, just mo- not moving. You know, even this earth is dying. You know, this, you know, at one point, you know, this was all growing as a, as, as a planet or this universe or this, this, excuse me, this galaxy. So every, everything is growing or it's dying. So, um, Always be ascending is, is our other motto. So always be ascending. Thank you so much, John. This has been an incredible conversation. Getting close to the end of our time. Uh, one, how we like to wrap up our episodes is a little bit of a lighthearted note. Let's us get to know you a little bit better uh, is our rapid fire question round. So uh, we do not reveal the questions ahead of time. They can range from serious to a, a little more silly. 
Um, but you you do have a choice. Uh, are you willing to participate uh, in taking on these questions? Well, if, if you want to get naked, that's kind of the, the right answer. So yeah, let's do it. There we go. Got to be vulnerable and exposed. <laughs> so Ryan and I will alternate uh, here on these questions. Ryan, why don't you uh, kick us off? Alrighty. What is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Um, that's easy. Um, we went to an all snake restaurant in Singapore when I first moved to Asia. When I when um, when we got hired, um, our boss wanted to surprise us and sort of shock us with sort of the Asian culture, and he took us to an all snake restaurant. So they open up the little thing and they pull out uh, two snakes and they're wrapping around the arm and he goes, "This one or this one?" I'm like. I don't know which one, whatever. So then they, they skin it right in front of you. They chop it up. They go spicy, not spicy. They cut it all up and they serve it with vegetables and they, they fry it right in front of you on a, in a wok and they serve it to you within two minutes after showing you the, the snake. So that would be, the, my wife would say here grasshoppers, but she had grasshopper. Goodness. I, I'm an adventurous eater, but that may be, that's that's a whole nother level. So that, that is awesome, an awesome story. Does it taste like chicken? It does taste like chicken. <laughs> there we go. So question number two, what is your favorite book other than Getting Naked? Um, if, if you're talking about something that's sort of you dive into, um, that you get sort of wrapped into, there's a book called The Tiger, um, the story of, of vengeance and survival, uh, written by Valiant. Um, forget his first name, um, but that's a great book. And it's about Russian culture uh, back in the day when um, you ever heard of the term um, the Russian roulette where they take the gun and they spin it. They actually did some research and, and there was actually another version of Russian roulette, which was they turned off all the lights and they shot at each other. And so they would put they shot them with they would shoot at each other with a 22 and they would be in a room and they were just bored. So they would turn off the lights, blow out the fireplace put a bullet in their gun and they fire at each other. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I mean, that, and that's, that's, that's historical. So, but this, this book goes and dies into the, in the culture of, of, of the, um, the jungle and, and a real tiger. It's about a real tiger that um, was a man, man, man killer and, and how the Russian Russians went after to go get, uh, stop him from killing more people. So great story. Interesting. Do you have any hidden talents? One of my, favorite talents is that I, I, I'm a big smoker on uh, meats. So I have a, I have a smoker the size of a small VW bus and I I'll smoke a racket, four racks of ribs, two tri-tips and a brisket for just for the week, you know, kind of thing. So I, I love smoking meats. It's just, I love the, I love the challenge of something that takes 20 hours to do <laughs> properly. What is your favorite board game? There's a bar board game that my, my family likes to play. Uh, I like card games more, um, but the um, we have one that we, we call Shanghai Rummy. We kind of, it's a one that we invented a while ago, our family. So it's our family, our generations play, three or four generations now play Shanghai Rummy. And it's a very unique game. But for board games, um, not a really big board game. I, you know, I like chess. Is that a board? I love playing chess. Yeah. Okay. Chess. I, I, That's a board game. That would be my board game. There was the one. What's the one with the uh, all the the hexagons that you play on the on the ground on the table? Is that settlers. Se settlers of Catan. Settlers of yeah, Catan. Yeah. Our family loves that. Um, but I would say chess. I would play chess before I played settlers. If you had a yacht, what would you name it? 
Desdemona. Desdemona. Mm-hmm. Desdemona. Um, that's from a. Uh, I actually had an airplane at one time, and her name was Desdemona. It is uh, from a, a a song by Jimmy Buffett called Desdemona is building a rocket ship. It's about a woman who is very creative. She's maybe in a situation where she doesn't have a lot of money and she's trying to be creative with her son or her children. And she's building, using cardboard and things, building a fake make-believe rocket ship so that her son can go out and explore the world. And to me, that was, it was an intimate story and an intimate thing that I really hung on to as a kid, that's that, that song. And so I always associate, um, discovery and exploration with that name and so i i've named my um my tesla is named desdemona so that gives you an idea so if i it would have to be desdemona too or something i don't know but desdemona i just i just for some reason like that name uh, associated with adventure very cool question number six if you had to eat a crayon what color would you choose do they taste different if they, are they all taste the same I think that's up to you. I'm going to assume they all taste like wax, <laughs> so it won't matter. Um, and then it would just be a matter of what color you want to see in your mouth. And I think uh, if I'm going to eat a crayon, I might as well be a crazy color. So how about one of the blues? We'll pick uh, anything close to 460 nanometers, and I'll just eat it. Okay. I'll, go, I'll go home and find the 460 nanometer crayon so I know what uh, what color that is. <laughs> I'm not even sure that we could find one, but possible i don't know they make some pretty big boxes of crayons now that's true okay moving on uh question number seven what is the best advice you've ever received well one that that comes to mind that's been uh i've used multiple times for my own employees was when i got my first job and uh i was his first employee so he was an engineer electrical engineering out of san diego his name is michael wall if you hear this welcome michael um, but he re- told me something that I never forgot and that I was trying to do all of those things. I was, I, he, you know, you hire somebody and you don't have anybody, any staff to help you. You're doing all of it, right? You're running around, you're buying the stuff, you're, you're on the computer, you're doing all these things. And I got stuck, um, doing a lot of the drafting, a lot of the things that, um, you could hire somebody else to do. Right. And, and we ended up hiring a guy, a, a, a junior designer that was going to do the drafting for me. And I didn't like how slow he was or and I, he and I are good friends uh, to this day. Um, and but I wasn't really allowing him to do his job. And he said, he said, uh, he said this, he said, be careful what you're good at. And what he meant by that was, if you want to be the draftsman, I'll, you can be the draftsman then I'm going to have to hire someone else to be in charge of you. So you need to decide what you're going to do because you, you can do all those things. I can be the guy I can, I can go out to the warehouse right now and I can build the fixtures that I design. I can do the welding. I can do the assembly. I can do the cutting. I can do all those things, but is that really good for the company? And is that really good for where I, I can be an asset to, you know, the growth of, 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 of this company. And is that really where they want me? So the idea is be careful what you're good at. Um, you can choose anywhere along the line, you know. But he said, 
something that stuck with me for for a long time since then. John, thank you for uh, all that you've shared and been willing to delve into today. Uh, Very much appreciate it and look forward to having future conversations just to catch up on all the new stuff you'll be working on six months from now. So uh, obviously the type of guy you are. But if uh, someone who's listening wanted to get in touch with you, uh, what would be their uh, best way to do so? Well, you can reach out through um, foxandfoxdesign.com, um, which is our design firm. And if you wanted to, any custom lighting uh, solutions done, you can reach out at ascentilighting.com. So those two company our websites are there and you can see what we do. And, and um, there's, there's a reach out uh, email system through there. So Ascenti is... Uh, for those listening, A-S-C-E-N-T-I, uh, lighting.com. So thank you so much, John, again. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Construction Disruption, uh, this one with John Fox of Fox & Fox Designs and Ascenti Lighting. So please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have many more great guests on tap uh, that we're looking forward to. And please, if you would, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Uh, Until then, change the world for someone, make them smile, encourage them. Two of the most powerful things we can do uh, in our own way uh, to have a good effect on the world around us. So thank you again. Uh, God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. 